Christ comes with his super abundant, in fact, infinite grace to allow us to not just be saved, but to thrive in a world that fights against us. And his redemption allows us to be in the pre-fallen state in a fallen world. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave, the original man, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I'm doing okay. What's going on down in Houston? Oh, man. Beautiful, perfect weather, sunny, 75. What's up in Pittsburgh, Dave? It's probably the same, huh? Rain, cold, and dark. That's the way I would describe my weekend. <laughs> Rain, cold, and dark. But my house oh, is man. spotless because there was nothing else to do. So I, cl- <laughs> I cleaned all weekend. That's so funny. While you cleaned, I was at a ranch uh, driving around on four wheelers with my six-year-old and uh, watching my 10 and nine-year-old girls drive off-roading mules. It was awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Was. I, I was the, the one picture you could have sent me is like the one picture that I could have been jealous of. And that's yeah. at our friend Thomas Yeager's ranch. Jaeger's the he's legendary. That's how I would describe Jaeger. Yeah, he's yeah, one of he's, those guys. He's more myth than real. Like, yeah, you don't, absolutely, you, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I was one thinking, day he walked into my house when we were living in an apartment before I was married, and he goes, "Look what I just bought!" And he had a carbon fiber replica, uh, <laughs> with like a tungsten tip, uh, seven foot or eight foot long African spear. <laughs> I go, "What are you gonna do with that?" And he goes, "I'm gonna kill boar." What are you talking about? Like he looked at me like he totally will. Yeah. And he totally will. The I Thomas has probably danced with my collective girlfriend since college more than I have. Like (laughs) like 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 he used to just like all the time we'd be at like bars or something and then I'd be like, Who is my girlfriend dancing with? And then it would be Thomas out out over in the like doing the two step. And they'd be the only ones dancing in the whole bar. Yeah, that's Thomas. That's Thomas. Gosh, so funny. What do you so have- funny. So we had a good Mother's Day weekend there. Uh, you know, our family and his family. It's his family ranch. So we were there and, uh, you know, we were doing chores that the kids love, like feeding the miniature ponies and, and the cows and all that stuff. So <laughs> it was good fun. Wait, are they they're miniature ponies? So that what, will they ever get they're bigger? extra small? They're extra oh. small. No, they <laughs> will never get bigger than. than yeah, they're so cute. <laughs> That's awesome. I've yeah. been looking. I've been looking at these miniature cows. And I, I mean, I'm not going to get one because I don't, I don't like animals, but, (laughs) and I like, I like animals, but I like them from a distance. You know, I don't want to take care of them or anything like that. But I uh, like animals, but I like them on my plate. (laughs) (laughs) But they are so cute. Those little miniature things. Uh, That's so funny. What do you, what do you have coming up ministry wise? It's summer. I mean, we should be doing stuff if if it weren't for the dreaded COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got three things happening this summer. Um, in May, in, in just a couple of weeks, I'm going to do a Life Teen summer camp. I'm going to be training their missionaries at Hidden Lake. So cool. I'm taking my whole family to that. So I'll be in the Atlanta area. I'm going to go see my buddy um, John Drizaldi, a really good dude who lives in Atlanta um, from that I've known since college. But then, uh, yeah, we're going to go 
we spend a week at the campsite and my whole family comes and they love it and we have a blast because I'm working with the young adults, not the not the high school students. I'm not doing like a ton of active ministry because right. they're all getting trained on safe environment and all that stuff. So it's like I just give my talk, we hang out, we do a mock session of what's going to happen the following week. And then I'm done. Like I just, you know, I have l- meals with the kiddos, but uh, the kiddos being the college students. Kiddos. So oh then, my gosh. Yeah, I have meals with the uh, youngsters, the little <laughs> whippersnappers, but then we're done. And so me and Shannon, it actually was really cool two years ago when we were at Cove Crest doing that because we had so much freedom to do stuff and to go see people and um, to go into town and do different things. So we're going to just look for fun stuff to do in the area and just have fun. So that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. It's like a vacation. And then uh, I'm doing Soonville Mid-America 2 uh, with the Soonville Youth Conference. So I'm excited where's, that's still going on. Where's that? Where's it's in Springfield, Springfield, Missouri. They call it St. Louis, but it's Springfield, Missouri. And then so I'm driving up with my family for that. And they're going to St. Louis where my wife's from. And right. then I'll do that for the weekend. And then I'll get a rental car and, and go up and meet them. And then at the end of the summer in uh, late August, I'm doing a provincial conference of clergy one of the fans of Catching Foxes is, uh, hopefully he's also an Every New Shall Bow fan, but he asked me to lead it. So it's all the bishops from like, I, I don't know exactly all the states, but it's their province, right? So okay. it's the bishops and the priests. They all meet together for three days on a retreat, and I'm leading the whole thing. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I've never done <laughs> anything like this. I'm very I haven't nervous. Either. I very haven't excited. I've, you know what? I'm so, I'm so excited because I have the same thing in January of next year. And I'm so glad yours is yeah. going to be first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Didn't you do one in like Tulsa? Didn't you do one in my old days? No, that's what, no, that's what's coming up. That's what, that's the one. In January. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Love those people. Love Tulsa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. so that's, um, yeah, that's basically my main things for this summer. And then other than that is just to work on building up our youth ministry program here on campus, um, hiring youth ministers, just, this is a year of building, which is, as you know, um, in parish ministry, building a ministry is the most exhausting part. Like you can't yeah. get to that flywheel stage where it's kind of spinning on its own momentum. It's all grinding. And yeah. so, yeah, that's my hope. Um, hope that we can get some good solid people in and just really bulk up the intellectual life. That's what, right. that's what my goal is right now. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. Whenever I interview candidates for the youth ministry job, I'm like, they didn't know <laughs> when I was teaching confirmation. Half the class had never even heard of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I was like, they don't know who Moses is. They don't know who Abraham is. That right. will never happen on my <laughs> like. I like lost my mind. <laughs> right. Right. So, yep, 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 yep. That's all I've been doing. So you're busy. I mean, yeah. it's yeah, it is pretty busy. But are you doing anything? Are you traveling? Uh, I'll be in Dallas for a, actually a high school graduation commencement address at the end of this month. And yeah. Follow your dreams. <laughs> yeah. I've, those are words that probably will not come out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> and, uh, then, um, yeah, I'm doing like the Bosco conference at Franciscan this summer and oh, pl- yeah, I'm Always doing my webinar. Always a bridesmaid. <laughs> no, stop. I'm I'm doing you know I'm still doing my webinars and actually I have a series coming up right now that I'm excited about that I don't think will be I don't know how well received it will be <laughs> so it's Is called it all uh, on yoga no 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 it's called uh, it's not it's not demonology it's called uh, 
surviving Babylon, how to live in a world, how to live as a disciple in a world that demands we do not. And it's a three-part series. And so I'm pretty excited about it. That's intense. Yeah. I've been thinking so much about it. And do you know why I've been thinking so much about it? Because you got Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Life. No, 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 no. (laughs) Not at all. No, I've been thinking so much about it because, and this is going to be a, a moment of public repentance because I have allowed my family to drift too far far into the world, and now I must rip their souls back from it. So, <laughs> so. they're watching My Little Pony, weren't they? Oh, no, show, how stop. dare they! Stop! No, I'm not Amish like that. I'm not crazy or anything. Uh, not that the Amish are crazy. Please don't write in telling, saying that I said the Amish <laughs> are crazy. Uh, but hey, so we're going to continue talking about atonement today, and we got oh, that a, lot. Was a subtle transition. That was a subtle transition. <laughs> Not that I'm making fun of the Amish. Anywho, atonement. <laughs> the, no, the um, you know, last week when we had this episode, we did get a lot of feedback about it, and. You know, one of the things that Gomer said that was key about the episode was not necessarily the theology, but the fact that it's one of the most common questions you get is what, you know, what did Jesus do for us and how could he have done it and what makes him capable of doing it? And one of the emails we got just kind of perfectly outlines the different questions we get. So I thought we would spend this, uh, this next, you know, 30 minutes or so discussing an answer to this email. So let me, let me go out and read it and kick it over to you for some first thoughts. Uh, It says, Gomer, Dave, I have a question I was hoping you could address in the series on talking about redemption. I I can't even hardly articulate my question, but I'm confused on levels of union with God available to men throughout history. Okay. I'm going to try and keep this clear here. For instance, the union of original man with God versus fallen pre-Jesus man with God versus redeemed post-second coming man with God versus pre-second coming, but still heaven man with God. I've heard things like beatific vision tossed around, but don't understand that. And the oh happy fault line, like, will we be better off more in union as a result of the fall? But I have trouble understanding there being more union than an original man. These are great philosophical questions. Yeah, I liked the Frank Sheed comment that in all that all things in the faith are related to the union of God in, and man in Jesus Christ. So I am thinking about how, how all these events affect union of man and God in the role of the sacraments, baptism, in these unions. Thanks yeah. for the show, and good luck deciphering that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's great. And uh, my initial thoughts are um, I like to lean on Augustine for understanding. So you want to look at the relationship of the union of God with man and Christ, well, the union of God with man in Adam before the fall, man after the fall before Christ. And then like, okay, like let's differentiate this. So the way St. Augustine said it was before the fall, uh, it was possible to sin and possible not to sin. But then after the fall, right after our fall from grace, uh, that original state of innocence and justification after Adam's fall, it was impasse non peccare. It was impossible not to sin. That man's faculties and whatnot were so corrupted that it was impossible for us to live a life without sinning. But Christ came and he restored that, What I think you say it in Latin, passe peccare et impasse peccare. No, I'm going to butcher it. But the idea of it, it returns to that like, yeah, we have grace that we can overcome even venial sin and all that good stuff. But the different stages of union, this is a deep question that has actually historically divided uh, two religious orders, the Dominicans following St. Thomas 
and the Franciscans following St. Bonaventure because Thomas was asked, if Jesus, if man had not sinned, would Jesus become incarnate? And famously, he said, basically, no, because he's a savior. What would he have to save? And Bonaventure said, yes, because it's the fullness. Basically, I'm, you know, thumbnailing it, but it's God's, it's the, the final act of revelation of God's love for us. So when you talk about that, then you have the next problem in, in the afterlife. So you have uh, a human wait, being wait, wait, who has wait, died. Wait, 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 yeah. wait, Gomer. Yeah, so, yeah. but let's yeah. set it up though, that yeah. pre, pre-fallen man yeah. still did not have the beatific vision. There was something to be yes. had. Yeah. So right. let's just, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, there was now, a, yeah, now keep okay. going. So now yeah. keep going. So that's yeah. what I, that's exactly where I was going. Like when you talk okay. about a human being who has died in grace and they go, they're in heaven, right? So you have the pre and the post end of the world kind of thing, second coming kind of thing, right? So we're in heaven. We do not have our resurrected bodies, but we are enjoying the beatific vision, right? So I don't think we would say, and theologians would say, heaven's going to get a whole lot better in the pre or in the post second coming than the pre. Like you're in heaven, it's heaven, it's heaven, right? That's the beatific vision. The word beatific vision means the happy vision that we have of seeing God as he is, Right, St. Paul talks about, um, you know, we shall know him as we are known, right? Yeah. So seeing God in his fullness, receiving his love that just grows and grows and grows for all eternity without end, amen. Um, now, the the real big areas where we contrast and compare is Adam before the fall, or humanity before the fall, humanity after the fall, and then in relation to redemption. What did Christ give us uh, that I think matters so much? So what what would you say, Dave? Okay, so, well, first of all, you know, you mentioned the really important point that, you know, that man must sin post-fall. Like, it's not, a, it's not, every man has, it's just the way we were created. I mean, it's the way we, it's what we received from the fall, okay? So, and not only that, but, like, we're basically depraved, okay? I mean, we have, everything's working against us. The world has fallen, right? Our bodies have fallen with the, the, the fall in general, and so it's all working against us. Christ comes with his super abundant, in fact, infinite grace to allow us to not just be saved, but to thrive in a world that fights against us. And his redemption allows us to be the in the pre-fallen state in a fallen world. So the way I like to think about this uh, in terms of understanding man's union with God is through the lens of, you know, and, and I'm always going to go here because I just think this way now, is through Dr. Hahn's vision of salvation history through the major covenants. Okay. So in a very real way, when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and you had that primordial matrimonial covenant, man walked with God. They didn't have the beatific vision. Okay, They did not have the beatific vision. So within the garden, right, the, the narratives of Genesis 2 and 3, the idea is that God has given dominion and authority and worship, has handed that into the man or given that over to the man and the woman. And all of us are in Adam and in Eve, right? They are our covenant representatives. They're the A-plus students taking the test for all us uh, F students, right? And so being in Adam, it would have we would have been graced, you know, because he was created in a state of grace, uh, which is a free gift of God's own life. So God didn't have to create Adam that way. He chose to. There was a state of original justice. Yeah, Dave. Okay. So, okay. So the original justice, I just want to point out, I mean, you're, you're Mr. 
theology here and I want to bring it down to normal people like me. Like we, it's, it is, he's laughing so hard right now. Mm -hmm. Original justice is a state of liberty that we can't understand. Like it's not, it's not possible to understand the way Adam and Eve were tempted by comparing it to the way we were, we are tempted or the way Mary was tempted or the way Jesus was tempted. Yeah. And this is because their level of interior union was so much greater than ours. So for instance, they, their intellect and their, their, their will served their intellect, their emotions drove their will towards what their intellect wanted and their bodies were in alignment with their emotions right so you had this top-down hierarchical union whereas for us right i'm literally uh, the the opposite of all those things (laughs) (laughs) right i mean like just think about saint paul in romans where he says i don't do the very good that i want to do so he like knows the good and this is all of us right we know there's some good thing that i ought to do we have zero motivation, emotion, right? We have zero motivation for it. Nothing is propelling us to. In fact, it's even repulsive to put on the running shoes and go for a jog or whatever it might be. A thing that we know is good, but we don't do it. And so part of the Christian life is about educating our desires, not even educating our intellect. Like we, we know it. It's actually pretty easy to learn what's right and wrong. It's so difficult to get the will behind it and then behind the will, the emotions. And so we are disintegrated within our very selves, right? And that is showcased in Genesis chapter three of Adam covering himself from the woman, the very person he was made for and she was made for. And then they dove into the bushes to hide from God. Like it's, and then the lies that they, and the excuses that they make in order to dodge responsibility, all that is masterfully crafted in like four verses to highlight the complete disintegration of of man and woman from one another, from the world, from the flesh, like all of that stuff. And so our temptation comes much easier. It is easier for us to fall. The way Dr. Han used to always tell it was like the sin of our first parents and the sin of um, the angels. And I loved how he talked about the sin of the angels. He said, for a creature who is pure intellect being told to serve rational animals is like a kind of crucifixion that Satan refused to be crucified by, right? Like non servium, I will not serve. So when we talk about these different states of union with man, after the fall, all of the covenants that God has done, the Noah covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant, all of that is God's tremendous rescue plan to organ and it, and it comes with it all, all of that is great graces right and it comes with all of this stuff to begin for God to rebuild his people but it culminates in the birth the death the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so what we have in Christ is not just another covenant representative of humanity before God at a different stage what we have in him is something that we could never get in Adam which is the eternal son of God became the son of Adam so that sons and daughters of Adam and Eve can become and actually can get to eternal life. Eternal life is the description of the kind of life that God has in himself, right? That's the kind of life that Jesus, and so we use the language of inheritance. Jesus gives us his inheritance, right? That's the radical thing that we get that surpasses that of even Adam. So I would take the Franciscan camp 
when it comes to if we never sinned, would Christ come? But I would do it from a different perspective. He would come differently. He wouldn't come as an offering for sin, but he would come as, you know, he would enter into the human race in order to take it to that next step of now you are in Christ. You're not just in a creature, you're in the creator. And that's a totally next level of, of, um, of covenant. And that's why the new covenant matters so much. Yeah. Okay. So very practically speaking, it's like sin digs a hole. It's like <laughs> you can get to surface level. Christ wants to take you all the way up, you know? So like there's more than just being saved from sin that we're not just saved from, we're saved for something. And that's what well, we, we did an episode on that on divine adoption, yeah. divine filiation. So. Yeah. yeah, and so we can't we can't misplace that. So now we are now Adam was regarded as a son of God, right? So the phrase image and likeness is a Hebrew idiom for fathering a son. And in fact, in Luke chapter three, when it gives the genealogy of Jesus and goes back to Adam, it says the son of Enoch, the son of who is the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God, right? And so it's pretty powerful when you start to line these things up. It's pretty powerful that we were called to such a level of greatness and sanctity and holiness that the fall really deeply wounded our human nature down to its core, right? As Catholics, we don't believe in total depravity, but like Dave said, we are depraved. We have that disintegration where we know what's good, but we don't love it, right? We don't want to do it. You know, sometimes our disposition might be like, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more patient than other people. But when push comes to shove and the suffering begins, we do not love the good, right? And so that's the hardness of all of these things. So everything that Christ is, you know, uniting to his divinity, his divine personhood, our human nature begins to heal the wound of this rupture between the divine and human. But then you take it a next step and you see that Christ begins to proclaim the kingdom. And that kingdom, though, I mean, let's be honest, the things that Jesus says about the ways of living in the kingdom are so utterly radical that yeah. it appeals to the revolutionary and the the fully committed, the zealot, like in all of us. It's so it's inspirational, it's radical, it's no compromise, and it pulls on that native goodness that is still deep down within the human heart. Like we long for living lives of heroic virtue. We all do. That's why we love saint stories. Right, that's why Dave yeah. here read the story of St. Francis of Assisi and was like, finally, a, a human person, you know, that's not the Blessed Virgin Mary, not a biblical character that loved God the way he deserved to be loved. Yeah. You know, these are the movements within our heart that Christ is pulling on us to. So, um, you know, in Hebrews, it says that he subjected all things under him. And then it adds a parenthetical remark, not that we see all things as subjected to him now. Right. And in First Corinthians chapter 15, the famous Harry Potter verse, right? Uh, Harry Potter, like the, the last books are quoting First Corinthians 15. And it's all about like bringing all of creation under the lordship of Christ. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. So it's like we don't see the fact that we have eternal, like if I eat the Eucharist, my physical body will never die. Right. right. That's not, and St. Paul is acknowledging this. Like, yeah, a lot of our Christian brothers have fallen asleep. It's not like we have bodily immortality right now. The last enemy at the end of time to be conquered will be death itself. So there are, there is this union that is still unfurling. So we have what we call the already and the not yet. Already we taste the indwelling of the Trinity, the union of man with God, but we don't have that epic fullness that will only come uh, at, at the uh, second coming. So 
can I nerd out on you for a little bit? I hope you <laughs> since do. you just said that. I hope you do. Since you just said okay, so so you just said like great. I mean, we 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 receive the Eucharist and it makes us immortal, right? Our it, it affects our immortal souls, but not necessarily our our bodies, right? And I would argue that as God always gives signs, right? You know, you've got like Eucharistic miracles, you have signs, you know, of healing, you have signs of, you know, things like that. One of the signs that we see in the lives of the saints is a realization of what it was like in Eden, like in the life of St. Francis, right? We love to make St. Francis into like the nature-loving hippie when really that comes from the fact that he was so holy, he was so Christ-like that he was like a new Adam and was living in like equilibrium with nature, okay? Um, now, let me take this a step further. <laughs> I think here that, we go. Yeah. Well, this is where, okay, so full disclosure, my friend who is literally probably maybe the foremost expert on relics in the world said, no, that's not the theology of relics. But I tend to think he might be wrong and that I might be right on this, okay? That I think that that, that what Gomer is talking about, this is where relics come in, right? That a saint is so holy, the, uh, the, the attachment of death is on them so much less than they are, than it is on everyone else. And that in literal fashion, God uses relics as a sign of like saying like, look, in Eden, they they were never going to die. You know, they were never going to die or they were never going to experience, you know, like growing old and death like that, that when we see these relics, there's life still in them because death could not grab onto them heart, you know, close enough and hold on to them close enough. And I love it. I love that idea of the (laughs) fact that that's what that's what it communicates to us, you know. Yeah, and if you can kind of think of it through the lens of Hebrews 10 and 11, where it's like, you know, the great hall of fame of faith. Like, Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac because he had the hope that even the dead could be raised to life. Like, if he were to sacrifice Isaac, God would resurrect Isaac. Yeah. Because he knows God's not a murderer. So I don't understand what's happening. I'm going to go and do this because I trust God, but I believe that I'm going to even receive my loved ones back from the dead. And so you begin to think about this in terms of the saints living a life of a hope that surpasses this world, right? A hope in what we could call the, what we call the resurrection of the dead, right? And you do hear of things like incorruptible saints, Right. What is that? The incorruptibles are a foretaste. Yeah. It is a foretaste, a sign, a confirmation that that which dies is not altogether cast off. Right. That there is something now that the man, like I think about that one Orthodox Metropolitan talking about the divine person still united himself to the corpse of Christ on Good Friday and Holy Saturday. That union was still there so that death itself becomes transformed. And you start to think about that. Well, if I'm if Christ is indwelling, right? If the Trinity indwells from the moment of baptism, and if I have a foretaste of heaven because I'm living the life of grace, I've been enlightened, I've tasted the gift. Um, that my body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So this temple, this is the whole point of Christian burial, and why it's a work of mercy, and why the church is very skittish, although accepting in limited circumstances, cremation, because it's like we still want to showcase the dignity of the human body, even body. in death, even in death. So, so interestingly, I mean, and I, I hope that you can see this in the culture. I, I see it and I get, every time I bring it up, I get super criticized. So feel free to <laughs> heat up your emails right now. Um, 
there is a desperate longing in our culture for something that is everlasting and and that's just part of the human person we long for the infinite we long for everlasting yeah. and for some reason we switch it to everything other than so we we work on legacies we obsess over our children if you've seen this like literal obsession of like that that's how we'll live on is through our children um yeah. and i'm not saying we shouldn't be you know caring for our children but literally you see like a man who like, you know, a, a kid who has every minute of his week scheduled because the parents want to almost live through them. Right. And to, to yeah. pass on something better to the world that they're longing for this. It's, it's even apparent like in uh, Plato's symposium, right. He talks very clearly about this, like the, you know, reproductive sorts of love, like you, a, a love that lasts forever is the only love that will satisfy. And I think you can see it in the culture longing uh, th that longing for it. What we have to do is make the culture realize that the only real immortal thing is our soul. And that's what we have to put our focus on. Not, not on these things that will remain in history in a sense. Yeah. Not on the monuments of man, which so quickly become idols, right? They so quickly no. become idols when you attempt to oh, live chil forever chil apart from God. Children are idols now in our culture. Children are. Oh idols. yeah. I, I, yeah. I am, I am so convinced that when we switched when the Catholic church switched from seeing evangelical churches as our enemy, we, we went right into the children, children, our enemy, the sports obsession with, you know, the success of our children, the, you know, all of those things that, that, that has become what leads people astray in a lot of ways. Yeah. One evangelical Protestant said, if you really take Jesus and the gospel seriously, you'll never let your kids sign up for youth sports. And I was like, Whoa, did he say whoa. that? No, oh, yeah. man, I bet oh, he doesn't yeah. have a job now. <laughs> well, he's dead. But uh, <laughs> oh, huh. it was uh, Mike Iaconelli from Youth Specialties. But, the, I mean, the reality, the reality stepping back of what Dave highlighted, right, uh, comes to us from Ecclesiastes. And this insight was given to me in one of my favorite books from Dr. Peter Kraft called uh, Three Philosophies of Life. And in the second philosophy, it was, or the first philosophy is Ecclesiastes. Uh, life is vanity and in it like it's such a hopeless book right everything is vanity all is vanity just have some money have some fun don't get too greedy don't be too good don't be too bad like it's a really hopeless book but there's a line in there that's so fascinating where it says uh it said that god placed the eternal within man and dr peter craft unravels that as basically being like this is why, like a fish is not upset at the water, at the wetness of the water, but we human beings, because we're conscious of death, we are conscious of time and we're never at home in time. And for right. him, it's like, yeah, because also the, the upside of that is not just death, but eternal life. Like we have a vision. We can actually imagine life without end. And it's the, what our heart longs for more than anything else. Von Balthasar said, he who has loved believes in eternal life because who could ever wish that love to end right and it's so true like the love that surpasses even life itself and in the old testament um just to kind of bring in the old with the new there's only one place where uh, in the in the psalms where anything is described as better than this life because you know they did not have a strict you know afterlife right, theology right. like we do in christianity yeah. and you know especially in early early judaism it's like we're just worm food right? We just die, our bodies decay, our souls go to shale or our shades, you know, whatever. But there's this great line from uh, King David where he says, uh, for your love is better than life, 
for your yeah. love is better than life. And I've said that before in the show, but the idea of of that little NAB footnote that said this is the only time in the Old Testament where something is recorded as being better than life. Better than life. And it's the love of God. And it's that very love of God that was manifest for us in Christ Jesus. So it's not just that Christ came as Savior, but as the eternal Son of God, he leveled up the ability of human beings, even if we had never fallen, to a higher and greater state. So is this notion of like, while we are here, it's almost like a return to Eden. Um, a lot of Orthodox churches, the Ethiopian Orthodox, I think in particular, they their churches are built in fertile areas where they plant right. literally hundreds of fruit-bearing trees all yeah. around the perimeter of the church because they want people to think like I'm in Eden when I'm coming to the church. You know, the surrounding of icons, the surrounding of uh, sacred art, all of that is meant to be evocative of like the beatific vision, the perfect state that we all long for, right? So it, that's a little tidbit about our family culture is that, that's like one of the questions I talk to the, I, one of the things I say to the kids all the time is like, is this a chase after wind? Is this a vanity and a chase after wind? <laughs> and uh, one day uh, Max, who is hysterical in the sense that like he'll just say nonsense all the time and then he'll say like the most wise things you've ever heard in your life and he sounds like a monk when he's <laughs> saying them and uh he was watching and and Josie my daughter she loves that show um oh man oh Doc McStuffins it's called yeah I don't yeah. know if you've seen it okay uh oh yeah and watch and I day. walked in it I <laughs> I walked in as an episode was ending and Max goes well that was a chase after wind that was a chase after wind, just like that. Like it meant, it meant nothing, you know. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, Max, why do you, why are you the one that gets this more than anybody?" So. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Um, yeah. So when we talk about evangelization in the context of what we're driving towards, right? Understanding, right? When we talk about the charisma, what we had, what we lost, what Christ gained, and what hope we have, right? Understanding this at a deeper intellectual level, and th this was a poor job at doing that, but understanding this stuff at a deeper and deeper intellectual level helps us to formulate it for different people, right, that we're encountering yeah. with the gospel, right? So if you're talking to someone, like, for instance, I was talking to this guy who's a strict materialist who wanted to have faith but couldn't because of his materialism, and he said, I just don't think we're like these perfect spirits floating around in our bodies and one day our bodies die and we go up. He's like, blah, blah, blah. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not what the church teaches. Yeah, right. I'm like, the definition of a, of a human person is a rational animal, right? And I was like, the animality is never discounted. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Gnostic spiritualism or that's a, a Platonism. That is not or, Christianity. Or, or, or anything, Hinduism, Buddhism, both of yeah. them reject that, you know? Yeah, and so for us as Christians, we're rooted in the very Jewish understanding and appreciation for this creation, right? And just because there is an afterlife, that doesn't cheapen this life, right? It doesn't cheapen this life at all. In fact, it gives no, this no. life eternal significance, right? And that's the beauty of seeing it. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm just here to get out of here, right? As I heard, you know, it's like an atheist trope. No, everything that we do in this life, and I always respond to the great line from the movie Gladiator, what we do in this life echoes, echoes into eternity, <laughs> right? This is a great line, right? I was thinking of it as you were saying. <laughs> Thank you, Russell Crowe. Yeah. Um, but the idea at its heart for all of us is understanding the mysteries ever deeper, 
right? If you and I remain, and I'm not saying everyone has to become a theologian, but we have to understand the catechism. We have to understand what's behind the words of the catechism. Because if we remain, I mean, it's it's the indictment in Hebrews. You were given milk. You should long ago have progressed to solid food. Right, right. You know, we've been given the basics. Okay, we who are evangelists, we who are called to share the gospel, for some of you, that solid food is going to focus more on the sacramental and liturgical life, right? And you want to evolve and grow in your understanding there. For some of you, it might be that speculative theology that asks questions like, what if Adam had never sinned? And that's going to help you understand what we lost in the fall, right? But all of us need to understand, like we need to go through especially the first part of the catechism and really ground our faith in solid in the solid food of the church's teaching and in doing so i think you will become more practical evangelists right cuz no one can state something so simply until they first know it so deeply yep yeah i i mean i i very much this has been a guiding principle of my life i when I think of a new principle or if I hold it in my mind, I basically have a rule, which is not probably a good rule, but it's just the way I've lived, is that I hold it for six months before I even start to really talk about it with other people. Like I want to know, I want to know, you know, I want to know all about it. And, and you know, that's one of the reasons I, I read a new book. I very rarely talk about it until six months later or something like that, you know, because I want to hold those ideas in my mind. and turn that diamond over and over and over again to be able to speak about it. But I, I can tell you one thing is catechism and gospel literacy drastically made a difference in my ability to evangelize, drastically made a difference in my ability to evangelize. Yeah. And it's just not as much as you, you, no one has as much as they think they do. The other, the other point I want to make to what Gomer was saying, I'm, I'm really glad you brought it up Gomer because I do see an issue right now with like there is a movement of evangelization in America that is super healthy and super great, but I do see an issue of a plateau before, before like of just milk, a plateau of just milk. Like, and this is why, and you weren't there the night of our evangelization boot camp, but I was talking about some theology of evangelization. I was saying like get comfortable with the idea that our faith is surround is is a mystery. Like they, that's okay. It's okay to not have all the answers. And in fact, you won't ever have all the answers mm-hmm. that what we need to do is get people who are newly evangelized comfortable with the idea that, look, you, you're going to hold certain truths and you're going to hold things in your mind, but a lot of this is a mystery and you're going to continue to turn that diamond and look. And I think that there is a danger right now in the movement of, of creating a lot of immature, but faith-filled immature but faith-filled christians yeah 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 and uh here's here's a live feedback that we got right you ready for this uh hi i'm a member of the syriac orthodox church and i've been listening to your podcast for a few years totally love it one of my favorites along with everything else from ascension press literally wrote that i didn't add that i can't thank god enough for these great resources I've listened to your recent episode on atonement, and I'm so grateful for you to flesh out the apostolic understanding. I was never comfortable with Protestant theories that had the father uh, that the father had a wrath against the son. And then he's saying that he started taking up the devotion of the rosary. And he's saying he's using this um, online meditation app or, or um, online meditation thing. 
And it talks about the sorrowful mystery that Jesus sees the wrath of the Father, which his sufferings must appease. And he's asking if we can reconcile or make sense of this for him, uh, because it seems to imply the Father's about to pour out his wrath on the Son. I'm troubled by this because I really appreciate the apostolic understanding of atonement and the rosary. Is this just a poor choice of words? And I would say that you would find this, and that's a great question. Um, Number one, if you read, I want to say it's Athanasius's um, Saint Athanasius on the on the Incarnation. I might be wrong in that reference, but there's elements of the wrath. Uh, you know, we are by nature children of wrath. Saint Paul says that there is an element of this is the part where substitutionary atonement still has application. There's still a paragraph in the Catechism on substitution because there is, and, and this is Isaiah 53, right? He took our infirmities, bore our right. sufferings. Yeah. And it pleased God to crush him into infirmity. That's another scary phrase, right? And that's one of the go-to phrases that they use for penal substitutionary atonement. Um, and you will find Catholic um, scholars who will, uh, or Catholic um, um, writers who will talk about the wrath, maybe not the wrath of God. That's not very common for Catholic people, but like God, Jesus took our punishment for us and satisfied the wrath of God. There are different ways of stating it, and I think I would say that this rosary's approach of the first sorrowful mystery is m- maybe just be a poor choice of words. Like you can have, because the Catholic, you know, the one put forward by St. Thomas Aquinas is a satisfaction theory of atonement. But just to say, like, I would say the danger is you think that God's punishing Jesus as if he is the sinner deserving a punishment versus vicariously taking our punishment for us. There is a distinction there that maybe a, a you know couple sentences for rosary meditation doesn't nail. Yeah, yeah. But that's all right. I mean, it's a rosary meditation. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay that's not theologically perfect. Uh, yeah. Or comprehensive. I hope that, comprehensive. Yeah, right. right. I, I hope that uh, this episode's been fruitful for you guys. And I think that talking about this more, you know, I know for me, even just having the conversations with Gomer, it's helped for me to flesh out my own ideas of what, you know, what yeah. uh, is true and everything like that. And so I hope it does the same for you. And I hope that you'll dive deeper into it because, you know, we can't cover this in just two episodes even. Um, but yeah, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to come back in a minute and you're going to hear from our fine friends at Ascension Press, probably with some awesome way to engage your faith, uh, some product or something like that. So keep an open mind there because we want you to, like we said, get into the meat, leave the milk behind and get into the meat. So uh, we'll see you in just a minute. What if you could see that the infinite God is present in your life? What if it was as simple as stopping, opening your heart and allowing yourself to be found? I'm Danielle Bean, an author, speaker, and host of the Girlfriends Podcast. In my new book, Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday, I share wisdom from the saints, real-life experiences, and prayer practices that help you to see, know, and grow closer to God in your everyday life, no matter how busy you are. If you've ever been inspired by stories of great saints but wondered where that leaves the rest of us, this book is for you. In it, we explore how we meet God in joy, pain, other people, prayer, and in the awesome gift of the sacraments. Join me on this journey of letting go, being still, and allowing God to meet us right here, right now, right where we are. Order your copy of Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday at ascensionpress.com.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. Thank you, Ascension Press. Uh, we are excited to continue on this mission of taking our intellect and applying it to our faith at the service of evangelization, understanding atonement, redemption, justification, all of these things so that we can become the saints that Christ died and rose to make us. Speaking of obstacles to sanctity, <laughs> yeah. we yeah. have um, a really big issue in the church going on right now that honestly, without overstating it or being dramatic, could be a huge schism in the church. And uh, of, of course, we're talking about the the upcoming weird synod in Germany. So Dave, you want to give a little background and, and give us our yeah. practical? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, I, if you haven't been following, the bishops of Germany um, are basically have threatened and are now meeting and agreeing together that they want to be able to bless same-sex lifestyle unions is what they're calling it. Um, and I, I want to make it very clear: it's not that they're gonna bless homosexual uh, people with same-sex. Uh, attraction because that of course we would love we everyone deserves a blessing it's not that they're going to bless them for repentance like in confessional what they're actually saying is that they're going to bless the union between same-sex couples um in what they call lifestyle bonding so they won't call it marriage but they are basically blessing what the church came out and released a very clear and well done document saying the church cannot bless sin yeah. And uh, unfortunately, the German bishops are pursuing this uh, rigorously. And I think even today, there was, it was a big day today for uh, voting or something like that amongst the bishops um, that they were going to go forward with this. They insist that they are not going to be schismatics, but they also insist that they are going to continue on this path. And, and we just, we have to pray. I mean, you know, I think, I think that our culture right now, I, I hope that this breaks your heart. Because our culture right now lends itself to silos and tribalism. And so you might be thinking, well, let them go. If that's what they agree with, then let them just go and form their own church. But this is a heartbreaking situation that we're witnessing. And, and Christ's heart breaks for it. I mean, he, he, he desires for us to be one and, and for us to be one in the truth. Uh, and so, you know, please pray. Pray, 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 and make sacrifices for for the future of the German Catholic Church, of the Catholic Church in Germany, is what I should say. Um, and uh, we'll do the same. Do we want to do something specific? What what should we do, Gomer? I think we should. Uh, let, let's combine our Alex from the Syriac Orthodox Church, and let's pray uh, the sorrowful mysteries of the Rosary because this is a very right. sorrowful time. For those of you who don't know and you would like to get clued in more, I'm going to recommend two resources. One is the Pillar Catholic. Um, the pillar is J.D. Flynn and Ed Condon's independent journalistic venture, and they do a lot of detailed stuff. Another one would be Ed Condon on um, Catholic Answers. I, I can't remember if it's Catholic Answers Live or Catholic Answers Focus. I think it's Focus, um, where Cy, the the host, does an in-depth interview on the German about the German bishops, and it's from several months ago, but it'll update you. And here's the deal. It's not just blessing same-sex unions as a gay version of marriage right it's a whole host of things right. it is it is the ordination of women to holy orders right it right. is um you know divorce and remarried marriages communions like all the stuff that is kind of bubbled up in the francis papacy 
one of the things, you know, people have criticized Pope Francis and I've been, I've, I've given, yeah, I'm, I'm, I like the idea of Pope Francis saying prophets make a mess. And if we're all called to be prophets, like sometimes we make a mess. But one of the things um, that even when he is being clear, when Pope Francis is being clear, like the CDF document that was released, like a whole bunch of stuff that he is clear on. It's almost like people are like, yeah, well, we're just making a mess. We're just we're just going to yeah. figure out this stuff. And they abuse the word accompany. They abuse the concept um, left and right. And so it, it has placed the Francis papacy. Like I know <laughs> from the reporting that I've read, there are people working furiously to get the Germans to listen to the Pope. And the Germans are like, no, we love Pope Francis. We're, it's almost like they're about to say it's the spirit of Pope Francis, right? Like yeah. the spirit of Vatican yeah. II. These people, this is Vatican IV. Like we're skipping Vatican III. <laughs> this yeah, is the spirit right. of Vatican IV. And so it's actually like I would say half a dozen issues that are just straight up progressive culture bleeding into the life of the church, right? And so that's where, um, that's where this thing is particularly pernicious because any one of those issues would warrant a schism. Schism. It would cause yeah. schism. Like, like literally the breaking up of the church. Right. Germans, with, with, they're at it again. <laughs> <laughs> and with, with all, you know, ideologies, you usually put out the, the issue out front that you think is most popular. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's so hard for people to, to not to defend the church's teaching on this. I, I don't think it is, but most people think it is. Yeah. Um, and so that's what's out front. So please, yeah, please so, pray. So pray. It's, it's, yeah. And pray for those Catholics in Germany who are, I mean, there are several bishops who are remaining faithful and, um, and, and of, co of course, a lot of laity. So please pray for them too. I mean, think yeah. of how alienating this is and isolating this is. Yeah, Dr. Hahn used to always say there were a lot of bishops in down through history who have done immoral things. You know, they've had affairs, they've had, you know, all sorts of, you know, theft and blah, blah, blah. He said, but the new and strange things is when you find bishops saying those immoral things are moral. That's new, that's strange, and that's where we need to sacrifice, right? Like, that's where we need to pray. So, all right, later we really ended this on a down note. Yikes, pray, pray, pray. Pray that the atonement of Christ Jesus applies to our German bishops and uh, and those weird groups that they partner up with. Um, again, this is Every Niche About Your Weekly Catholic Podcast on Evangelization. I'm Mike Gorman, joined by Dave Van Vickle. Adios, my good folks. God bless.